none of us planned to play in college. None of us thought about that pathway the same as it was now. Our, our parents weren't from day one getting us with trainers and getting us into pathway. All of us that played were multi-sport athletes. So for us, soccer was a passion. Hey team, it's Katie, your host for the podcast Kick It With Katie, and let's kick it. So today's episode is going to feature my interview with Reed Maltby. He is the author of The Spartan Mindset, Mastering the Language of Excellence. The book is currently on pre-order, and you'll hear more about that in our interview. Links are going to be in the show notes. And he is a former um, soccer player. He played collegiate, and you'll hear more about his story and how he got into coaching and into writing his book. I wanted to give a personal note, just so everybody knows, um, episodes are going to, I guess not personal note, episodes are going to be coming out on Tuesdays now. So if you got used to Mondays, I mean, I don't have a ton of episodes out right now, but Tuesdays are kind of what is working for me. If you guys were hoping that they would release on Mondays, Tuesdays are what is actually working better for me and my schedule. So that way, if my weekends are too crazy and I don't get the episode done editing because I do all of my own editing, which is why this is such an amazing quality podcast is because I am a perfectionist. <laughs> anyway, so the podcasts are going to be coming out on Tuesdays. So that is when the new drops will be. And again, I am always looking for more people to interview from all backgrounds in regards to soccer, whether you're a current player, a former player, a coach, a parent of a player or a parent of a former player and you want to just share your experience of whatever it is that you went through, I would love to interview you. And I'm sure somebody out there is going through the same thing that you are. And they would love to hear somebody else's experience going through the same thing that they're going through right now. You can contact me via email at kickitwithkatypod at gmail.com. Link is in the show notes. Or you can find me on Instagram and you can shoot me a message that way as well. Kick it with Katie podcast underscore between all the words. Link is also in the show notes. And if you're interested in being interviewed, you know, just send me a message. There's also a link, I believe, down at the bottom that if you're a guest that's interested, if you're listening on Buzzsprout, I think it's on my Buzzsprout page. I don't know if it's a link available anywhere else, but if you're listening from Buzzsprout, um, that link should be in there for you to fill out a form if you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you have any questions for guests please shoot them my way I'm always looking at answering questions um today's episode there was kind of a general question asked in a Facebook group I'm a part of that um coach Reed answers I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to touch on before I I get into today's interview. So, um, oh, as always, leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Um, Apple Podcasts, it usually, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, those major ones, those really help get the show out there and more searchable for people that are looking for podcasts like this. But anywhere that you're listening that you can rate review and subscribe, please do so. Please rate, review, and subscribe and share. Share the episode. So if you find an episode that you really love and you think somebody else will love, please share it. So that is definitely awesome. Again, I am still working with my merch person who is doing some designs and so I'm going to be having hopefully um, a couple different mock-ups for some t-shirts, maybe some stickers, and I'm going to be doing some business cards. So hopefully we're getting the word out. So thank you guys for those that have already given me reviews and have shared the podcast. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Love it so much. Um, getting a lot of feedback. So I'm really excited about this. So anyway, enough from me. And here is my interview with Reed Maltby. 
For those listening, I have Coach Reed Maltby with me and welcome him. And he's going to be talking about his youth career and in soccer and then where it took him into the coaching world. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, I've got a unique path because I, I played in the U.S., but I played at a time when youth soccer wasn't as as diversified, I guess you would say, in all the different leagues and opportunities. Uh, and then I coached when it was actually a much more diversified space with a with a wider pyramid. And so I, I bring a little bit of unique perspective. When I played, uh, there were very few teams. It was a lot of times it was either recreation or a club or two in town. So I played for a club at one point called the Montford Heights Marauders, which don't exist anymore. And it was only one or two teams. Uh, my biggest, my best experience in soccer was when I moved over to a team in the Westchester area of Cincinnati, which at the time was just cornfields in the middle of nowhere. Now it's part of Cincinnati proper. It's it's grown up so much. And that team, the Lakota Tigers, were the precursor to Lakota Monroe, who then became Cincinnati United, which is a very well-known uh, National League team, uh, both on the women's and men's side. They've won multiple national championships on the women's side. Mm -hmm. I think they just now won a national champion championship on the men's side recently. So they're starting, and they, they've got, they now have uh, an academy program, and they, uh, they've, they've uh, put a lot of athletes into the college system, uh, at, you know, at the average percentage that they do. But so when I played for the Tigers, we had to travel to play teams. We would travel to tournaments just so we could find competition, not because we, nowadays people travel because they, they think that's where the competition is, but there's teams in their own town. We just didn't have that many teams. So for mm -hmm. us to actually get a good schedule in, other than our league schedule, we would travel. And at the time, it was teams like Bethesda, Maryland had one of the top teams in the nation and Pegasus out of Chicago. And so we would go to these tournaments in Chicago, uh, Clearwater Chargers in Florida, and we'd go and we'd play these teams just so that we could match ourselves up against the competition. None of us planned to play in college. None of us thought about that pathway the same as it was now. Our, our parents weren't from day one, getting us with trainers and getting us into pathway. All of us that played were multi-sport athletes. So for us, soccer was a passion. It was something we wanted to do, love to do. We didn't think about the future it would create for us. We just, we really loved the team we played on. We really loved being a part of that travel uh, lifestyle soccer. And back then it was, we all jumped in conversion vans and took four or five conversion vans and drove to our location and, and carpooled with CVs so we could communicate from van to van. Uh, yeah, so very, very different. <laughs> you know the feeling. So, pre and then, phone, you know, I get, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and mm -hmm. pre like all of this very planned out, uh, national league sort of, uh, uh, schedule. We didn't, we didn't have that. Uh, when I started coaching at Cincinnati United, uh, I had come out of college. I'd gotten a, a master's in sports psychology. So I thought I really, you know, I never expected soccer to be a pathway. I ended up playing college soccer at Davidson, uh, famous for Steph Curry, uh, I mm -hmm. chose Davidson because I went on a recruiting tour. I went to Duke and UNC and Wake and all the other schools. And a friend of ours said he was on the same team. And he said uh, his they had visited Davidson. And his dad said it wasn't Brian's personality. But he said to my dad, he said, man, it is so Reed's personality. It just fits him. And that was the thing about back then when we did those travel tournaments, we spent so much time together as a team, as a group we treated the tournaments as a fun outing. You know, they, they were, they, we weren't there to, to be recruited for college. We were there to actually enjoy it. So we would go a couple of days ahead of time and see the sites and stay or stay a couple of days, you know, past, like we went to Boston one year, we went a week ahead of time. And as a, as a team, we just, we traveled, we went all around Boston seeing all the sites. And so mm -hmm. the parents got to know all of the other kids really well. We, we created these very strong bonds because we were actually there for that part of the experience. And so Brian's dad said, Reed will love this school. I've you know, spent enough time with him. It's his personality. So we go down and we tack it on to the end of our visit. And so I go and visit the other schools. I go to Duke. I was underwhelmed, I guess, because it, it just, it didn't feel like my personality. Not, not the school, not the team. There's nothing like just, it was my, I really thought that's where I was going to go. And so I was really surprised that emotionally I just wasn't connected after visiting. And so my dad said, so at this last school, Let's just, we've got the time. Let's just drive down and see it. You never know, buddy. I said, all right, fine, we'll go. Well, we, he had called ahead and, and, and contacted the, I know he had had me call ahead, contacted the coach and I had sent a videotape, a cassette video, v, VHS videotape, because that was mm -hmm. how old I am. And uh, so we met with Coach Slagle and 
we walked across the campus. I was there five minutes. We're walking halfway across the campus. And I turned to my dad and said, I'm home. He said, are you sure? I said, I'm home. I, this is, this is where I want to be. And he said, and, and I, I had a great mentor in Paul Rockwood, my high school coach. He said, pick a school based on if you break your leg, your very first, God forbid, if you break your leg, your very first day on campus and you can never play again, it's, it's a school you want to be. That's where you want to be no matter what. And that's how I chose it. I didn't expect, I knew it wasn't the caliber of Duke at the time. I knew it wasn't, you know, I didn't expect, I knew that I was turning down opportunities to play at other schools and potentially set the bench or whatever at other schools, but get this exposure to better athletes potentially. Well, what happened was we went to the final four my freshman year because we had lightning in a bottle. We had Rob Ukop leading score, uh, score in the nation with Matt Spear anchor in our defense with, you know, Cliff Castello and uh, Alex Deegan was our goalkeeper, probably one of the best goalkeepers I've ever played or, or played with or seen play. The kid was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and so lightning in a bottle, we're hosting the tournament in Davidson. We got, we won the bid to host it there. So it's our very first year. We had taken it away from Richmond. I think mm-hmm. we were hosting and we have this, Cinderella run where we win and over double overtime on a, you know, on a, on a, on an unbelievable goal by Robbie Ucrop. And then we, we win in PKs and then we win in PKs again. And the last PKs, you know, we're, it's in the, it's in the overtime in PKs. It's in the, it's in the bonus PKs. And mm-hmm. Alex dives in the play. The, the guy kicks it right down the middle and Alex reaches back as he's diving away and pops it up with his hand over the bar. It was just, you know, it was like perfect Cinderella story. And uh, we ended up, so we host, so we're in the final four, but we can't call it that. We're in the, the semifinals hosting. And so they packed the stands. Everybody's there to see us play. We lose to University of San Diego in oh, sudden death overtime in golden goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just a phenomenal experience. Well, that was sort of like I'd been coaching since I was 16. So I'd been coaching all the way up through then. I'd been coaching the women's club team at Davidson. So as my I realized my playing career was waning. I had some injuries. I had back-to-back injuries. Sophomore year, I just absolutely obliterated my ankle against Duke. And I was out for the season. I came back at the very end of the season, but they didn't catch the hairline fracture on top of my foot. I was in for 30 minutes in a game, locked a shot with my foot, right back out, you know, that type of thing. And so then junior year, I I, I was in and out of games with hamstring and ankle issues. And, and, issues. and I just said, you know, I, I, I called it quits. Uh, before my full four-year career, I just said it wasn't worth it. I was really enjoying Davidson. I was really I, the broken leg analogy, and I was here for more than soccer. Mm-hmm. I was here for school. I was here for this education. So I really I stepped away and I focused on the coaching. So, so when I graduated, I went and got a master's in sports psychology. I said I'm going to be a coach for a living. And then I saw that at the time there really wasn't it wasn't a way to make it. Uh, uh, I thought I bought into the idea that I needed to go corporate have a paycheck, you know, steady paycheck and have it, all this. And so I, I decided that it wasn't enough. And so I, I steered away from coaching, but I always did it on the side. And then longer, long story longer, I go back when I'm much older, I get a master's in early childhood education. I do start coaching full time because my wife has a what if conversation. She's like, what if you could do this full time? It's when you're the happiest is when you're on the field. So I'd been working in uh, nonprofit fundraising. I started my own nonprofit. I've been working at corporate America and the whole time I'm coaching on the side and it's always just a hobby. And then one day I, this, I had to make a choice. Do I keep coaching or, or do I quit coaching and go stay corporate or do I keep coaching and quit corporate? And I quit corporate and went coaching and uh, never looked back. After that, as you mentioned, I, I did a TEDx in 2015 after uh, working at Cincinnati United. I was, uh, was uh, I was a director of coaching uh, for an entire silo. They have three silos in town. I was running one of the groups and uh, with a couple other directors. And then I moved over to a small club, Star Soccer Club, because they, they handed me a blank sheet and said, we love your philosophy. We love your mission. We love you know the way you coach and approach the game. It's very unique because I approach it from a positive discipline, social, emotional learning perspective. I think more about the software of the players than I do about the hardware. The skills, mm-hmm. you know, those anybody can teach them. But my thought was is that we have an opportunity to pour into these 99% of these kids who will not go on to play soccer, but they'll go on to be something in life. And so we have this opportunity to help them be excellent in whatever it is they choose to be. And it was a very unique concept. Uh, I was always steering kids away from, do you really want to play college? Or do you, you know, I, I wanted kids to make sure it was 100% what they wanted to do, not what anybody else wanted them to do. And so it was a very unique approach. And this club said, We'd love to have you implement that approach at our club. That's our philosophy. And so I went over and ran that club and uh, did my TEDx. And my wife urged me to do that. Another what if conversation. She said, you've got to share your story with the world. It's such a different mindset about how you approach coaching. Now it's a little bit more prevalent. 
But uh, so I did the TEDx and that launched me into this career that I'm in now where I, I have traveled the world. I have um, worked with uh, sports organizations across dozens of sports, not just soccer anymore. I've worked with governing bodies like uh, PGA of Canada and I've worked with the USOC and US Sailing and all these other organizations. And uh, now I run the uh, Intercollegiate Sailing Association, which is 275 teams across the North America that compete in college sailing. And, uh, and I have a book coming out called The Spartan Mindset that is about mastering the language of excellence. And I figured out throughout a lot of research and, 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 and working with organizations and getting feedback from others and through my mentors and all of that, that uh, the linchpin is language, is, is words. So I, I believe strongly that we should work on the software of the athlete. And it needs to connect up with the hardware. But what I discovered was that if the software isn't running properly, then the hardware doesn't run properly. So if you're not doing something mentally and emotionally for your athletes, then they're only going to physically compete as well as the mental and emotional game will allow them to. And what I discovered in the last few years was that linchpin was words. If we use our words properly, we can actually we can actually create better peak performance environments for athletes in the way we educate them and coach them and in the way we speak to them in those moments of high stress, high performance. I watched the the TEDx and it was, it was really great listening to your words and, and just how me as a coach, cause I coach young athletes, they're like 10 and 11 year olds and trying to want them to want to come back and play. I don't want to, I don't want to necessarily baby them, but I also don't want to make it so horrible that they don't ever want to come back. So it is difficult. I mean, at least for me, cause I've only been coaching for a few years, trying to find that structure and balance where you're being firm, but also positive. And so when I'm coaching, I'm always like, I could be yelling and screaming right now, but I'm trying to think of a more constructive way to get that across so that they'll respond better versus me just yelling, you know? And so that's, I mean, I always, I've been telling my players at practices lately, it's okay if you mess up. That's what practice is for is so that you can work on getting that better. I don't want you to be afraid to mess up. I'm not going to be mad if you try and do something new, but it's the, whether you're going to learn from that mistake is where you need to learn that from. And so it's definitely something to figure out versus the, ha, ah, I'm just going to yell and scream. Why did you do that? You know, don't do that again. It's like trying to find that balance. I was just going to say you're, you're spot on and you're doing it right. Uh, brain science says that the, the, the frontal prefrontal cortex, the logic and learning section of the brain actually shuts down when we yell at people and the, the base of the brain, the amygdala and, and the brainstem, that area is actually what takes over. So when you scream at something, the fight, flight, the fight, flee or freeze mechanism is triggered. They can't actually process and think. And so they can't learn skills if they're being screamed at because the part of the brain that's actually wanting to acquire the skills is shutting down. And the part of the brain that can process what you're saying to it is shutting down. So you're spot on. It's and, and that's and I love I'm like you. I love working with the younger ages because that's that's where it's at. That's that's where you instill that joy and love for the game. Like you said, to make them come back. Yeah. We had a, my younger son, his, um, we just went to a big tournament in Las Vegas over the weekend and they didn't play amazing. They did, you know, have their moments and they did get a win out of one of their games and they played some really hard teams, but they, in one of the games, they started off just super flat and there wasn't anything there. And my husband is the coach and, you know, he's trying to get them motivated and playing and they're not responding. And he literally just sat there for like five, 10 minutes and he didn't even coach. He was just like, obviously what I'm doing is not working. So he just, you know, sat there because more yelling wasn't going to make any <laughs> difference. So he, you know, he knew he's like, well, you know, I'm going to just have to stop, regroup, figure out a better way to figure out what to get them to do. You know, it was almost halftime. And so it was kind of like, and I wanted to start yelling and screaming and helping coach because I'm the assistant, but I'm like, okay, I got to take my lead from him and I got to just let him do his thing and they got to figure it out. Like it's, it's, it's 
hard <laughs> definitely to not you know <laughs> yell and scream and not saying you know and it's also one of the things that I've had to tell players is when I yell as a coach usually it's because I you can't hear me from across the field so I don't want you to be afraid that I'm yelling right now because that's how I make sure you're hearing me so that that's also another thing that I like try to make sure that the players you know I'm not mad at you I'm just trying to communicate and that's how I have to communicate across the soccer field so that's another thing that that I always make sure to remind the players I'm like I'm not mad I'm just trying to tell you what I need you to do and the only way you can hear me is by yelling and right now we've had indoor in Utah because I'm in Utah and in one of the facilities I don't know like I always ask the players I'm like can you guys not hear me yelling like when I'm trying to get players off the field and you know to sub them and everything and I'm like can you guys not hear us out there because we're yelling and like nobody's even responding so it's kind of interesting in that aspect as well <laughs> I can remember kids hiding from me they play indoor and they'd get to the other side of the field when they knew it was their time to be uh -huh. subbed out and act like they couldn't hear me so they could stay on yeah you know they kind of have that look on their face like wait oh who me yeah, I had a, well, and I had a team that had like, at one point, we had like a whole bunch of lilies on the team a few years ago. There were like four of them. And so it was really difficult to try and figure out how to coach them all because they all had the same name. And, you know, we're like, okay, what are we going to call this one and this one, you know, so in at least a few of them played different positions, but it was like, how do we not have them all on the field at the same time too? So that way when you yell a name, they're not like, wait, who me? Am I coming off? Or is it her? Is it me? Like definitely that, that communication. So as far as your echoes beyond the game for coaching, I know that you're, you're focusing on coaching, but also what advice would you have as far as parents? Because that also, I feel like I'm a parent of players trying to feel those words as a parent as well. What would you say to parents who have players right now translating that also using keywords or specific words or, you know, not yelling at your players? Because that's another thing is you know, I see these viral videos of like what it's like in the car ride after a game, you know, whatever sport it is, you know, so what's something that you, you would say to parents specifically as well to try and help uplift their players? Sure. So I think the, the biggest issue we have is we've got a lot of, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. So we've got a lot of people who have their, their fingers in the pie to make some money and I don't blame them. I totally get it. But at times there can, there, there's a, there's a fear of missing out that's created that, People are telling parents that their kids have to be with this team and with this club and with this trainer and they got to do it year round and they've got to pay this much to do it and everything because they're going to miss out if they don't. And the other side is there are, there are experts out there who are pitting parents against coaches, that the coaches are the ones that are bad. So we're going to fix the system for you. And if you buy my course or if you you know join my organization or whatever, I'm going to fix this for you. And on the flip side, we have if you go into a room full of coaches. And you, I've done it before, and you ask them, it could be 100 coaches, you say, I'm going to play word association, and I want you to yell out the first thing that comes to mind when I say a word, and then you say the word parents, you hear them. Problems, issues, I wish sport had no parents if they just didn't show up, you know, and that's, so what you've got is you've got this, you've got this escalated animosity or escalated us versus them mentality happening. And so the first thing that I would say to parents and that I do when I do talks and workshops or when I was coaching was I sit them down and say, we're partners. You're a partner in this. And my role as a coach is to instill in those values, provide mentorships, instill those values and life skills that help them carry on beyond the game. And so I'll, I'll do everything I can to raise them up as human beings in partnership with you, just like a teacher does. Mm -hmm. Schools send home newsletters and the teachers ask the parents to come in and help in the classroom. And the teachers send home what the homework was that we can say, will you help them count, skip count by threes, skip count odds, skip count or, or you know, they, they teach the parents, work on your hunks and chunks with them. And the reason schools do that is they want parents to see it as a partnership. Coaching needs to be that way too. So that's one of the things that, that you, all, you can do is, is you set that tone of meet the parents at the very beginning of the season. We're partners. 
These are some of the things that I'm going to teach. These are our rules of engagement. If you ever want to talk to me, this is the easiest way to talk to me. You know, if you want to set a 24-hour rule and say wait 24 hours, that's fine. But you, you set very clear parameters for how parents engage with you. And that may be, with some of the older kids, that may be have your child talk to me first because I want them to learn that self-sufficiency and that ability to actually communicate with the leader. And then we can escalate from there. I'll only talk about your kid. I'm not going to talk about anybody else's kid on the team, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then what I used to do is I would use my post-game huddles. I would huddle with the kids, and it was usually like we would just go – it would be shout-outs. Who has a shout-out for somebody? Oh, so-and-so showed the value of such and such. That was so great. Oh, so-and-so had such a great game. That's so great. And the kids would actually run that huddle. And then I'd tell them this is what I really loved about the game, and next week we're going to work on this. And then I'd walk across the field, and I'd reiterate that to the parents. Parents, I thought the game went really well. These are the things that we, as a team, we really love seeing. The kids did such a great job, and I put it back on the kids. You know, they did such a great job. If if we lost it, it was a mistake. I'd say I messed up because I didn't prepare them, or we should have worked on that, and that's my fault. So that we took the blame off the kids, but we, but I would tell the parents everything that we liked about it, what we're going to work on in the coming weeks, so the parents had something. And then I would say, ask your kids. I would even guide them. Ask your kids in the car ride home. If they what they thought about the idea of the two touch rule or whatever, if I had instituted some fun game or rule during the game, because I usually went into the game with some kind of tactical uh, concept that I wanted to work on. We're going to work on, you know, whatever, showing both feet. We're going to work on widening the field. We're going to work on getting back on defense, getting between our house and the ball type of mentality, getting, you know, getting, getting goal side. And I would ask the parents, ask your son or daughter about that. So they had something to guide the car ride. Or I'd say our value this week that I saw the most was gratitude. And I just, all week the kids were showing it. They were showing it today. So talk a little bit to them about gratitude. So the parents had guiding points. So they didn't get in the car and go, you missed that goal, Johnny. You 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 clearly missed that shot, you know, or you shouldn't have passed it to Joe because he's the worst player on the team. That's the one thing I wanted to avoid was parents talking about other players and parents de-enforcing the things that I was teaching. If, if we weren't on the same page, they're going to go home and they're going to have what we call the kitchen counter conversations where they're going to say, what was coach thinking when coach did this? And why did coach do that? And I don't agree with coach that. And I didn't want that because they can agree or disagree with me. That's fine. But I didn't want them making it like it was an us versus them because then the kids are forced to choose who they want to follow and listen to, who they want to actually. And I didn't want that. I wanted them, I wanted them to be able to trust both people on the sidelines. And the other thing that I always told parents was, I'm not going to steer your kids wrong. My goal is to not only create their very best soccer experience, but again, I'm here to create better human beings beyond the game. Because of that, all I ask is that you allow them to have that space in games to do what they're supposed to do, to enjoy it and have fun. Don't yell instructions. Don't tell them what they should or shouldn't do. Let them explore and do it on their own. And then, and if you see me not talking, it's not because I'm not doing my job. I did my job all week. Mm-hmm. Game day is their turn. All week was my turn. So please let them have that turn. And, you know, it, it works most of the time. We'd have those parents who have struggled. So we use the headphone rule, like bring headphones, put them in and listen to music while you're watching a game. Uh, I had parents actually who didn't like sitting with the other parents. So they would go and sit off by themselves. Uh, I We also had every once in a while, we'd have a team parent who said, I'm going to institute the lollipop rule, which is they would carry lollipop at games. And if a parent was yelling a little too bit, too much, they'd walk over to that parent and they'd, <laughs> they'd hand them a lollipop. <laughs> now, it doesn't always work. You have to reiterate constantly and you have to keep reminding them that. And, and and the other thing is, is I had pithy sayings. And so my parents started to pick up on pithy sayings. And it would find feet, goal side, you know, um, uh, keeper's hands, you know, instead of running behind the keeper, run across. My kids were learning to run in front. And so I'd say all these little pithy sayings throughout the game because I'd created these trigger words. I didn't have a lot. Of, we don't have a lot of time to teach games. We really, sh- you know, that we don't, we shouldn't be other than reiterating things. Mm-hmm. And so I started training sessions being very intentional about the language. So I would write out not only the session, but I would write out exactly what I would say. It was scripted because if I use certain trigger words to get the kids to remember what we worked on in training, then all I had to do was say the trigger words during games. Goal side, and they knew exactly what I meant by goal side. It's it's a corner kick. We got to get between the player and the goal, and you know that type of thing. And so, and I called it Twitter talk because you're telling it to everybody, <laughs> so everybody can see it and hear it. And it's pithy and short. It's at the time it was 140 characters, so it's 140 characters. And parents picked up on that, and so we had these little cards that I would hand out that had my sayings on. And parents would yell those sayings to the kids: play feet, goal side. And I would ask them at the end of games: ask Johnny in the car, ask Holmes in the car, what find feet means. 
or what show both feet means or what goal side means. And so now the parents are, the kids are getting to teach the parents. Well, coach taught us this, or we learned this, and this is why I do this. And And then the parents get to see how amazing it is. These kids are learning the game and, and acquiring the knowledge. And then they get excited because they understand the concept. So they're yelling. My mom was an offside yeller. It didn't matter if, you know, who had the ball, she was going to scream offside. My brother played football. She was going to scream pass interference. My brother's team could be on, you know, defense and, and she's screaming pass interference <laughs> because that's all she knew. But now we're educating the parents on the game, right? So that parents actually get the game to a degree where they can, they can say things that are beneficial. But like I said, it doesn't always work. We were playing in the state cup. I had this team that was absolutely phenomenal. One of the best teams I ever coached. I, all the teams I coached, I absolutely love, but this team was I was just trying to get out of the way and not make mistakes because these kids were that good. They were coaching themselves. They, there's pictures out there of me where my half times was me here and the kids are, you know, way over here at the bench huddle because I, I let them run their own half times. And then I'd come back and regroup and I'd give them a limited amount of time. And then I'd come back and regroup and we'd go out and, you know, and so this is a group that they, they would run some of their own practices. I'd show up and I'd have a you know limited option to say, we could do A or B, which one do you want to do? Okay, what, what exercise do you want to do? What do you want to work on? How do you want? And I mean, they were that good. Because I wanted them to, just like the Steve Kerr thing, I wanted them to run it themselves. They're the ones experiencing the game. So we're in the state cup and uh, the referee comes over and my parents, had, we had a rule. You just didn't yell during games. And my parents were very good about it. It was like a cocktail party over there. They were all watching, but they were all very quiet and they were very encouraging. And they were, because they were the same thing. They, want, they were seeing this, this amazing group of kids develop right in front of them and they didn't want to mess it up. They wanted to watch it happen. So the referee comes over and goes, coaches come to the midline. They both go to the midline and he goes, I don't know who it is, but somebody over there on the other sideline is harassing my AR. And if it doesn't stop, I'm carding the coach of the team who's doing it. And I smugly go, well, now my parents, they, they, they don't talk during games. They know better. And as soon as I finish that sentence, my captain, Will goes, Hey coach, it's your dad. Like, Are you? <laughs> so I, at, 30-some years old, have to march across the field in front of everyone, walk up to my dad and say, Dad, do not yell at the referee, please. Can you just enjoy the game, watch the game? Please don't yell at the referee anymore. They will card me if you continue. The whole place busts out. Both sides of fans start just dying laughing because it's the coach's dad. <laughs> so it doesn't always work. Yeah, I was, I was coaching a game in the fall, and my parents came because it was my daughter's team that I coach. And my mom yelled at me for yelling at the players like you know coaching and I was like mom this is my job like you can't do that so I, I you know they never you never stop being a parent so <laughs> but it was just funny because she was no. she was like got it and I'm like you can't say that like this is what I'm supposed to say like I'm trying to help her. like you know so that was that that's what that reminded me of yeah so one of the things that you mentioned earlier was tournaments and how your team, you had to go to tournaments to actually play other teams because there wasn't a lot of options for you. I know I'm a part of parent Facebook groups for soccer parents and they're concerned about the cost and the expense and, and everything like that. So what would you say, because I know at least here in Utah, again, we had a smaller market. The market has grown. We have more people playing soccer now than we used to, obviously. And so it was one of those things where in order to get the competition that we needed, we would have to travel out of state. We, you know, go to Las Vegas, Colorado, California, usually on the, the West Coast out here. We would travel to those those areas to get the competition. So what would you say to parents i mean our philosophy is is if your games are competitive in your own league really there's no reason to necessarily travel all the time so what would you what is your take on that so and i'll preface it i i played in the 80s <laughs> so uh <laughs> there was just not a lot you either played in your league which was you know you know there were so many teams in town and obviously, because of that, there were only so many teams of your caliber. So if you were a good enough team, it wasn't that you were trying, again, you weren't trying to get into college. You weren't trying to be ranked nationally or anything like that. You just wanted some competition. And I played at a time where we saw the tournaments as an opportunity to explore the world and see the world and go and do things. So we went to Denver to, you know, we went to Boston, we went to Florida, we went to, you know, you pick these locations for the location and not for we weren't going to be recruited. We weren't going as part of national league or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit, it was a little bit different then. 
and we fundraised. We would at the beginning of the year we'd say we want to go to these three tournaments, and so we would create this. It was really cool. We we became we were still Tigers, but Lakota Tigers, but we we changed our name because we were sponsored by a company that made balls called Tempest out of Pakistan. So we became Tempest FC, and we had two teams, my team and an older team, and we created a booklet, a media booklet, like you would get at a football game, a college football game, with every player's name and all their stats and everything like that, and we. We would sell those, and we would sell the sponsorships in them, and that covered our travel as a team. So it was very different, uh, and it was a lot. You know, everything was we, we could drive to almost everything except for the Florida tournament. So we, we we picked based on cost. My advice today is, back then when I was looking at a pool of maybe thirty, forty, fifty teams in the greater Cincinnati area, that and of those teams, how many could compete with? You know, all of my teammates, we all went and played college soccer, almost all of us. So we were lightning in a bottle at that time in, in, in our careers. And, and several actually went on and played multi-sports in college. There were a couple of us that actually played more than one sport or were asked to play more than one sport. Uh, and so it was just, it was different. Today, I just, when we went to Boston or Florida or Denver, we played, Pikes Peak, sorry, went Boston, Florida, Pike. we played teams we'd never seen before. And we played against people that we would never get a chance to. I mean, I, we played Bethesda, Maryland in a tournament in St. Louis at St. Louis Bush when they were one of the top teams in the country. We got to see two or three players that were, Harry Weiss was a national team player. We played against them. It was a youth national team player. And Harry was like, it was a different caliber watching him play in person. A.J. Wood played for Bethesda, Maryland. A.J. scored three goals against us playing in center back. He was that good. And then I go, you know, fast forward, I'm playing in college, and who's on Virginia's team? A.J. Wood. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's there's A.J. You know, Claudia Reyna and A.J. Wood, and this is the team I played. I would have never met – I would have never seen those guys as youth players. Well, a, Claudio I didn't because he was in Italy, but I would have never seen A.J. Wood as a 16, 15, 16-year-old if I hadn't traveled. So it was different then. Today, you'll – pay thousands of dollars to travel to a tournament from Ohio to Las Vegas to then play against the team that's from the same city you're in. That's where I struggle with it is mm-hmm. you'll, you'll spend all this money and do all this stuff, and then you go and you play the same people that you see every week. And so for me, it was, you've got to ask yourself, is my kid really going to play college soccer? Because the percentage is like 3% or less are actually going to go on and play college soccer. And even if they do, they're not going to get full rides. There's, there's just no full rides. Mm-hmm. In, in, in sports in general, but particularly in college soccer, they'll get partial. You know, I was I was a GA at Miami University. I was a graduate assistant coach at Miami University up in Ohio. And and Bobby Kramig, the coach, was given a lump of money, and then he would dole it out in piecemeal to get as many players as he could. He could spend it all on one or two players, but if he wanted to build a, a solid roster, he was doling it out. So you, you would find these kids, you'd say, are, you know, are, how are your grades? Oh, I'm an A+, plus, I'm this, I'm a 4-0. Great. We're going to get you an academic scholarship and we're going to supplement that with some of our money or I'm involved in this, this and this. Great. We're going to get you into this club in college. That's going to help support some of it and then we'll supplement. So there's no such thing as a full ride. So you're investing ten, twenty thousand dollars a year for 10 years of your kid's life for them to go and get a four thousand dollar scholarship. So the first thing you have to ask yourself is, why are we doing this? Because it can't be for college scholarships. It's got to be for something else. And then if the reason you're doing it, the purpose you're doing it requires you to travel. Then, then it's acceptable. You know, I've my my team that I coached that 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 amazing team. Uh, they all went on and played in the national league and competed in national championships. After I left the club and moved out to California, they were traveling all over. They were part of the national league, and I understood why they were doing what they were doing. And they were the three percenters. They had a real. All of them had a really good shot. One was a, several, two or three of them were on the futsal U.S. futsal national team and traveled to South America. And you know, they're all playing in college now. It's really cool, and it's gotten better. There's so many. Don't think just Division One. You could do great in NAIA. You can do great in Division Three. It doesn't matter where you play. You could still have a great college career and potentially play at the next level, no matter what level you play at. So pick a school that matters, you know. And that's what these kids did. All of them, I, I check in on them. They're all playing college soccer. So I understood why they were in the National League and traveling. But if you're in a league where you're not sure if college is the end goal for your kids, but it's more about experience and fun and learning life skills, or if, even if it is just to become a better player, you don't need to travel to do that. The diversification in the sport is so high now. The, the, um, the parity in almost every state now is so good that you can stay within your own state and still find barely solid competition. And so if you're going to travel, pick the travel. If that's your mindset is we don't really want to travel. We don't need to travel for college scholarships. We don't need to travel for, you know, recruiting purposes then 
pick those tournaments at places that you think would be great experiences. Go to Pikes Peak. Go to go to San Diego and hang out in La Jolla for at the mm-hmm. Surf Cup for a week. Go to you know or Del Mar. So you know, do those. Go for those experiences, and then you know if you if you listen to like uh, uh, SRUSA and some of the recruiting services, Dave Williams and them. Uh, I'm sorry, Don Williams. They'll talk about you know pick that one one tournament where you know the college coaches are going to be there and pick that then, you know, if that's what you want. But if my kids, my kids ended up playing other sports, volleyball and my, one's a weightlifter and, uh, and one was, uh, ended up playing football cause he just wanted to do it. And he's like, I'm, I'm going to kick. So he was a kicker mm-hmm. for the football team his senior year, which is really cool. If they had come to me and said, we're in travel soccer and we want to spend $10,000 a year to travel all over, I would have sat him down and said, great. Why? I just want to know your reason. What's your purpose? What's your reason here? I'm not driving this bus. You've got to drive it because I've had my career. I had my chance. I'm not going to live through you. You've got to drive it. And that's why they ended up not playing soccer is they wanted to live their own lives and not be in, in you know, the same path as me. But ask your kids why they're doing what they're doing. And if, if, if they're not doing it to be a part of the National League or be a part of the ECNL or be a part of the um, college recruiting process, then pick your tournaments based on what will be great for experiences that they'll look back on and remember. I do not remember any of the scores. I do not remember what tournaments we won when I was a kid. Heck, my trophy case isn't a trophy case. It's memories. I have what I call a memory case. I don't keep trophies. I keep I keep trinkets from those trips that are memories. I have ticket stubs and, and you know patches and things like that that are in my memory case that remind me of those amazing memories. I don't remember a single game other than how much fun we had, the experiences we had, the people we played against. Like I, I name-dropped a few people because I played against mm-hmm. them. Like, like, that's so cool. So then... 10 years later, watch me be like, I played against him when he was 15, you know? Um, that's how I would pick the travel soccer schedule is to create those memories for your kids that, and, and the opportunities for them to become better people through the experiences. Yeah. I think some of the memories that I personally remember with my soccer team was the stuff that we did off the field, you know, the team dinners, the, like you said, the traveling together as a team with the radios and the, it's, more the off the field stuff. Like I could go, Oh, that tournament, what did we do? Oh, we went to that go-karting place. Like we went to dinner here and we threw food at each other. Like, I don't know. So it's, it's that kind of a thing where those are the things that I remember. Whereas my husband has a really amazing memory. And so he'll be like, do you remember this game? You know, for whatever tournament we were at for the kids and you know, this, this, and this. And I'm like, I have no idea. I don't sure that probably happened. And you're right. But unless I watch like film or video of it, I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I probably don't remember. And I mean, you know, that's me watching as a, as a parent. So I, I definitely agree. And then you have a new book coming out. I think I got the digital version of it, the Spartan mindset, mastering the language of excellence. So is that, that's something that's coming out. Did it just come out? Is it pre-order? Yeah, we're in pre-order. We're, we actually are doing some pre-order campaigns. So it's, and I'll send you a physical copy when we, when we uh, get off air here, if you'll give me your address, I'll drop you a physical copy, but the Spartan mindset. And I love the publisher. They, they totally captured what I wanted for the cover. It's just absolutely beautiful. It is about mastering the language of excellence. It's about that. Like I said, those linchpins are the words we use in high, high stress, high performance situations. And depending on what words we use, we can either inhibit or prohibit peak performance. And so if you're using what I call power words, then you're helping inhibit some, or inhibit somebody's peak performance. You're helping create it. If you're using peril words, then you're potentially, you're, you're causing choke points in somebody's performance. And so the book is all about each chapter. It's framed in a way that it's, it's an easy read. You, you, you don't have, you, you can read it. You can bounce around. You don't have to read it chronologically. Each chapter is its own universe in and of itself. And each chapter is a word or phrase. Go, what if, next, yet, and can't, try, you know, words like that. And the idea is that I open each chapter with a story that uses that word. Some historical or a personal story that where that word was used and, and how it impacted the performance of the people involved. Mm-hmm. And then I talk about the science behind it, the brain processes, the brain-body connection, what that word is doing, why that word has so much power, or why that word can be so perilous. And then I end the chapter, typically in the chapter, with uh, some tips and hints on how to enhance that word, use it more often, uh, uh, use it in a more effective way, or how to eliminate that word, or how to use a word, a different word instead of that one 
moving forward to help with peak performance. It comes from my undergrad was uh, teamwork dynamics. I was an organizational behavior undergrad. I worked under a guy by the name of Dr. John Kello, who was at the time one of the leading experts in um, in teamwork dynamics in high stress emergency situations like nuclear control rooms, airline cockpits, emergency rooms, uh, on factory floors in organizations with where there were a lot of injuries. And so he worked on the communication patterns and the dynamics of the people working in there. A lot of things like groupthink and, you know, Morton Fiacall was a groupthink. There was somebody in the room that knew that that seal was going to break and it was going to blow up the booster, but they didn't raise their hand because of groupthink, because of that fear of standing out. And so we did a lot of study on that stuff. And, and a lot of it came from that concept of how are we talking to each other in these high stress situations? And then, of course, it was my sports psych background and then my early childhood development and the brain processes piece. Um folded in there. And so that's the book. Um, it is, uh, it, the reason I called it the Spartan mindset was because in my going down the rabbit hole of researching for different words to use in the book, I came across a story of the Spartans, which obviously, as everybody knows, they're Laconia. They're the laconic phrase people. They, the Spartans were very efficient and effective with the words. They were very terse, very witty, and very profound when they spoke. They didn't say a lot when they did it meant something. If you ever watched the movie 300? Yes, it's 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 Hollywooded a little bit, but that's how they were, you know. And we'll fight in the shade. That's fine, you know. <laughs> you know, come home carrying your sword or your shield or on it. That was those were legitimate phrases that they used. Uh, so uh, I uh, I found this story of the Spartans how they used one word to stop the imminent threat of war, and I thought that was the most powerful example ever of how a word can change the course of history. And so that's the opening chapter. And then later on, I discovered that there was another time they did that. And so that became the closing chapter. So the book is bookended by these two Spartan stories. And so the publisher and I and, and my agent, we were like, that's the best title ever, Spartan Mindset. Like that is, <laughs> we can't go wrong with that because it's so, it, it doesn't talk a lot about the Spartans. It really dives into the language and brain processes and peak performance um, but there are two stories in there about the Spartans. Yeah, I actually, I coach for Sparta United, so we know we know about the Spartans a little bit. <laughs> so the kids, a lot of the kids, they always love to do the, we are Sparta, that, you know, that that thing. So yes. that's that's always fun. Um, but the one of the things that... So my son and I do when we yeah, lift. <laughs> um, one of the things that my husband has taught me is cause he's been coaching for a long time too. And, um, so I try and learn off of him. And one of the things when he runs trainings is instead of like saying, you see why we don't do that? Or he'll rephrase it and say, do you see how this is weird? And so when they're younger, they go, you know, they hear the word weird and they're, you know, yeah, that is weird. Why would we do that? You know? And so it kind of makes them think when he, you know, rephrases it in a, different way versus a don't do that this is not how it should be done it should be this can you guys figure out why this is weird and we wouldn't want to do that because maybe it doesn't work you know or or something like that so it's it's very interesting when I've seen the way he phrases certain things for for the kids and I'm like yeah I you know and they do they kind of pause and then they actually think about it because they're like why is this weird you know it makes them think and so that's that's really interesting, and so that'll be that'll be a, a a good read. Well, you all will love it because that's one of the chapters. The don't is one of the oh. chapters. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you'll and it's a pair of words, so you'll love it. Yeah, you'll you will you will like it because it it does touch in on some of those things. Like, yeah, we just switch the words, and and people always ask, well, is it really just the words? No, it's the delivery. Right. But the words are the linchpin. And so I've got a course coming out called The Language of Excellence that'll dig into pitch, pace, tone, volume, uh, facial expressions, body language, so that we, I just activated my Alexa, I think, so that we can, so that we can, um, I don't know how, but so that we can, if we align all that, it's a much more powerful communication pattern. But you're right, just changing the way you say something completely alters the outcome of that situation. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool to see that you all yeah. are doing that. Yeah, and I was going to... I think one of the things in your TED talk, I think, yeah, it was in your TED talk where you were, you were talking about, you know, the kid that missed a goal, a shot that could have won the game or tied the game or I, I don't know, you know, and the, the coach, you know, sat down and was like, 
you know, talking to him. And as soon as you said that, it made me think of a situation that my husband and one of his players who I, um, his name's Jonah Knubel. I just had him on a few episodes ago and he talked about, they were at the national championships. They were in the finals for their age and he wasn't necessarily having a great game. And he said, the thing that I remembered was when he subbed me out and he put his arm around me and instead of like yelling at me and saying, you know, I could do this, 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 and this better. He's like, I remember he put his arm around me and said, take it in, look where we are. You know, he wasn't mad at him. He was just like, we're here, we're in the final. And, you know, that situation could have gone so differently. So when, when I watched your TED Talk and I, and I saw that, it made me think of that moment and that he remembers that specifically where he was maybe expecting to be berated or in trouble or whatever. And his coach turned that situation that he thought maybe he was going to get in trouble for and was like, look, look at where we are. This is, this is an, I mean, it's a huge accomplishment that, that our team made it to the national championship final. So it is true what you're talking about. It has a great difference on the players, especially players of today. When I try and do my coaching, I try and instead of saying drills, you know, they're exercises. So have a more positive spin on the words that we use in there. And so I love that you're doing this and I'm, I'm really glad that we had you on and I could talk to you about this because it is, it is something great for coaches to know for players, you know, you yourself, you know, as a player, you decided to take it into coaching. Maybe it wasn't, I mean, I've even my own husband, who's been a coach for a long time, it wasn't necessarily his goal to coach either, but it's like, they love it and they do find joy in it. And it's giving back to the kids and helping them grow and become better people. And hopefully it's because you guys had great influences in your life. Like you said, a lot of the things that you were taught, you've kept it going and probably broadened it and everything. So I think this is, this is great information and it's great for parents to know as well. And then any coaches that are listening or players that might want to become coaches. I know he wants to be coached because of what I, I think it was another interview that you did. And he, you know, was saying, I don't know what he's got, but I want to be a coach because that kind of a thing. And so it's kind of awesome that coaches nowadays, you do need to look at yourselves as being mentors and you're obviously guiding and helping create these future adults and the coaching aspect of it. Like you've said, most of these players aren't going to be collegiate or professional athletes you know, the 99% are probably just going to grow up to be amazing, hopefully amazing adults, and you get to help shape them. And this is definitely a great way to help, help the youth of today and the coaches. Yeah, I smiled because that was, it was in my TEDx, but that was, I think that was the moment that I realized that coaching was a calling, it was a purpose, that there was more to it than a paycheck or reliving my old memories is when you do your job in a way that somebody wants to be that way. Like someday, mm-hmm. like what a powerful thing to think about. Like I coach in a way that my kids actually want to be coaches someday themselves. And I've had them walk up and say, I coached my own daughter because you coached me when I was 12 and I, that's how old I am. <laughs> and and, and it, it's you, you like, there's more to it. And so as a coach, yeah, it, there two things should be going through our heads as coaches. One is we need to look each kid in the eyes, deep in the eyes and ask ourselves, what can I do for this young person that makes them excel beyond the game? Because it's, I'm guaranteeing that most of these kids are not going to go on and be pros or even play college soccer. It, soccer will be an amazing lifestyle for them, but it won't be a living. It won't be how they make their money, how they survive. So what can I do for these kids? Because if you don't, I was on a leadership development podcast the other day and they were talking about poor work, productivity, and this, that, and the other. I said, and we're to blame. We failed because coaching – Sports in the U.S. has an opportunity to see 30, 40 million kids, and we didn't do anything to instill in them positive values and life skills and help. So if we're complaining about the workforce or complaining about things, that's our fault for not cultivating that generation when we had them. Because that's as a coach, you have some of the most powerful influence in the world. And the second thing is, like you said, when you're working with kids is, am I creating an environment that makes them want to do it themselves? Am I creating future mm-hmm. coaches because I did my job so well that they love the profession so much and they they want to they want to do it as well because it had such a profound impact on. Them. So I, I love the fact you brought that up. It's dead on. Yeah, 
and touching, I mean, touching on like the youth players, I know, I'm sure that there's a lot of coaches out there that can relate where you can have a profound impact just on players' lives in general. Sometimes their sport is an outlet to, you know, what's going on at school, what's going on at home. You're a second family to them. And so creating that positive environment where they want to be there, they want to be better people. I mean, it's such a great thing. I know I'm sure several coaches, probably yourself included, can relate where you've had players who maybe didn't necessarily play college soccer, but have had players whose families were immigrants or maybe their families were in poor situations economically. And so they're, they were able to, because of the structure that they had and the experiences, they wanted to be better people. And then they ended up to going to college and they maybe didn't play college soccer, but we've had some people who they were the first ones in their family to go to college and graduate. And now they have these amazing jobs that soccer or any sport could be that pathway and that structure to getting them there. Maybe, you know, they don't get the scholarship for the sport that they're playing in, but it helps provide that structure, that balance so that they're ready to go on to the next level and they can achieve something great that maybe somebody hasn't done in the past for them, but they had somebody that believed in them that they could accomplish great things. And so that helped them become better human beings. I mean, not just playing college, you know, just having a great job or, or whatever. And, you know, maybe that's something that they might not have had that avenue had they not played sports specifically talking soccer here on this podcast. But I mean, it's awesome. I mean, I know at least being involved for it as long as I have with my husband coaching and now myself, like just seeing those accomplishments from those players. And like you've said, you've kept in touch with a lot of your players and seeing where they've gone and played and the things that they've done. It's awesome to be able to feel like you were a part of that and you helped them get there. And that's what coaching should be all about is helping them get to that next level and becoming those great adults. Yes, definitely. I think the misconception is that sports is the destination. Youth sports is like, that's the destination. We're in youth sports because that's the career we're going to create for kids. It's just, it's just another vehicle on the journey. They have no clue what their destination will be. And so our job is to fill those vehicles with as many great things as possible so that they have a great journey along the way. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I've had a few, I've, I've, I've had quite a few players cause me to cry because they've reached out years, years later and reconnected. And it's like, man, that's why I did what I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we had a player that reached out. We were at Far West Regionals. I don't know if it was last year or the year before, but it was, wasn't necessarily a tough run, but it was. Um, anyway, he sent a message out, and I think it was Father's Day, too. And this player had always looked at my husband is kind of another father figure in his life. And so when he reached out and he sent me the message and I read it to my husband, you know, I'm like, I want to tear up because, you know, it, it's moments like that, that you go, yes, this is why I'm doing it. It was, it was worth it. Like that, you know, just knowing this story right here, like that, that is why we do what we do and makes it worth it. Anything else that you want to add uh, no, just if, if, if anybody is inspired by the book or is interested, we're doing a, I'm doing a pre-order right now. So if you pre-order, you get some bonuses with it, uh, access to uh, the ebook of it. So you can get it sooner than, because the book doesn't come out until April 18th, um, access to it, a private Facebook group. Uh, what else did I do? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm going to actually do an, uh, a book study. So I'm going to read the book. I'm, I'm a margin guy. I like to write in the margins and take notes of my books. So I'm going to actually read my book like that. And then I'll do a video for each chapter explaining why I took, why I wrote the chapter, what it means. And then I'll, I'll share my own notes on the book because, you know, when I go back and read something that I've written, a lot of times I forgot what I even wrote because it's been, it, the book was written five years ago. I edited it this year, but it was originally written five years ago. And so I'll have that and I'll also have a discount for my future courses of, uh, Spartan, uh, of the Mastering the Language of Excellence. So, uh, or Language of Excellence. So yeah, somebody wants to pre-order. Go pre-order now. You can go to fullspartan.com, fullspartan.com, and uh, and get it now. And and I, like I said, I'll send you out. I'll send out a copy to you all. Awesome. And we can have those links in the show notes as well. So if you're looking for the website, I'll put that in the show notes. 
but thank you so much for coming on. This was an awesome conversation and I learned a lot and thank you so much. Thank you. I learned a lot from you. Thank you, Coach Reed, for your interview. It was great to talk to you. We had a lot of stuff that we talked about off the podcast. Um, It was just great. So hopefully we can have him back on in the future. And we're definitely going to be doing something in conjunction with his book and a giveaway or something. So please watch out for that because we are excited for his book to be coming out. And um, we want to be able to do uh, a little giveaway for the listeners here. So make sure that you're following me on Instagram so that you can be aware when that's going to go down and be in in the mix so that you know when I don't know if we'll do another drawing or, or what it is that we'll do but we'll definitely figure something out when when it comes closer to that happening if you guys have any questions for coach Reed any follow-up anything like that shoot me an email you can find him um, fullspartan.com and his links are going to be in the show notes definitely go and listen to his TED talk because it was I thought it was awesome. It was a great, you know, it's about eight minutes, I think. It was a great, great listen and has a translates into a lot of different things in areas. So it's it's definitely great. And I love this conversation and what we had today, you know, for me as a coach and as a parent and as a person thinking about what we're using our words for how I parent my kids and choosing better words to use for them when I'm trying to parent them and get them to do things and things like that. So very relatable if you're a parent, um, coach, obviously definitely stuff that directly goes there. He had some great advice for parents. So again, just all around great interview. Thank you, coach Reed for that. And again, if you really enjoyed this, please share it and follow coach reed on instagram if you'd like his links will be in the show notes as well a lot of stuff today long but very good interview and i hope you guys really enjoyed it again make sure you share rate review subscribe all the things love you guys and thanks for kicking it with me have a great day Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at kickitwithkatypodcast underscore between all the words. You can reach out to me with questions at kickitwithkatypod at gmail.com. I also have a feature with SpeakPipe where you can leave me your own voicemail message if you want to be featured on the podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.